This is History West Midlands. For 1400 years, Worcester in the English Midlands has played a unique part in the history of our island and the world beyond. At a vital bridging point over the River Severn and watched over by its beautiful cathedral, Worcester has witnessed the comings and goings of monarchs and regicides, saints and sinners, scholars and charlatans, as well as warriors and composers. In his fascinating new book, Worcester Moments, River, Religion and Royalty, author and historian Andrew Reeks, once a pupil at Worcester's King's School, tells this enthralling story through the prism of 20 episodes in the vibrant life of the city and its people. In this programme, Andrew discusses how the two famous battles of Worcester in 1642 and 1651 highlight the strategic importance of the city to King and Parliament during the bloody English Civil War and beyond. He talks to the publisher of History West Midlands, Mike Gibbs. Andrew, why did you choose the title Worcester Moments, River, Religion and Royalty for your new book on the history of this fascinating city? I did so because I first of all chose the 20 moments and then found that probably 17 or 18 of them fell into the category of either river, religion or royalty. And I realised that actually those were the common threads running through the stories I was telling. The river, because Worcester was a bridging point and a defensive point, and a route through from Wales to London. Religion, because the cathedral was the centre of one of the most important and rich dioceses in England. And royalty, because, quite extraordinarily, the city has more royal connections than most places of its size in the country ranging from Ethelfleda and Ethelred right the way on to Princess Victoria and George VI. The relationship between Worcester and royalty often involved war. You've specifically talked about the siege of Worcester and the Battle of Worcester. Could you begin by telling us what was the state of Britain in the 1640s when these events took place prior to and during the Civil War. By 1642, leading parliamentarians no longer trusted a king who had dispensed with their tax-raising rights, who dwelt on his prerogative powers, the divine right of kings, and who embraced an almost Catholic sort of religion, which we call Arminianism. So, in 1642, Parliament and the King had fallen out to the extent that both sides were arming for a confrontation. What was the importance of Worcester at this time? and Was the city pro-king or pro-parliament? The first thing to say is that Worcestershire was in that part of England which, apart from Lancashire, was more Roman Catholic than any other. Worcester is surrounded by gentry in the manor houses surrounding the right-hand side of Worcester, who had supported the gunpowder plot. And that was important because they naturally supported a king 
whose religious affiliations appeared to be leaning towards Rome. Worcester was important for other reasons too. Strategically, it was of great value to the king, lying astride his supply routes from London to Wales and from Bristol up to Shrewsbury. It was a key bridging point of the Severn, and along with Upton and Bewdley, was also a means by which one could move into Wales and down into the West Country. Charles I believed that Worcester was particularly enthusiastic for royalty. He had evidence of King John's affection, Queen Elizabeth's affection for Worcester, and he thought that the messages he was getting from local gentry suggested that there was a real enthusiasm for the king within the walls of Worcester. Indeed, there was support from him, from the dean and the chapter, and indeed from a number of townspeople. But it must be said that there were also those within the walls of Worcester, merchants particularly, tradesmen, and Puritans who really resented the sorts of changes his enthusiastic supporters had brought to the cathedral, emphasising the importance of altar, altar rails, and all the vestments and flummery of Roman practices. So it wasn't a done deal that Worcester was enthusiastically supporting the king, but he thought they would, and that was the important point. And the parliamentary army and the royalists met famously at the Battle of Worcester in 1642. Yes, it's, strictly speaking, the Battle of Powick, and it is the first battle of the English Civil War. And the background to it is this, that the king, fleeing from Oxford and wanting to protect all his wealth in a baggage train, sends it from Oxford to Worcester, and thence the intention is to send it on to Shrewsbury. So his baggage train arrives, hotly pursued by parliamentarians, who try to break into the city at Sudbury, that is now Sidbury, in the south of the city. The old gates hold out the parliamentary forces, which, licking their wounds, retreat south of Worcester, south of the River Team, to Powick. The royalist forces then gather in the city and are supported and strengthened by the arrival of Prince Rupert, the king's famous nephew, who was a hero of the Thirty Years' War on the continent, a cavalryman with dash and brio, just the sort of man that was required to repel the parliamentarians at Worcester. And what actually happened was that the parliamentarians tried to move north from their camp down at Upton, across Powick Bridge, crossing the River Team, to try and attack Worcester from the west, and were met there by Prince Rupert and his forces. They meet on Powick Bridge. A number of cavalier leaders are killed on the bridge, run through, but the parliamentarians are also put to flight. The royalists retreat to the city. They gather up the baggage train, the wealth, and they move north to Shrewsbury, and thus, facing now an emptied Worcester, no royalist defences, 
the parliamentarians move on up and occupy Worcester, and then set about desecrating the cathedral and the college green, arresting the mayor, grabbing and plundering what wealth they can, and taking over Worcester. This is September 1642. And what lasting effects, if any, did this have on the city? Well, Worcester became something of a shuttlecock, in the sense that it was parliamentarian, September 1642, and then, seeing that the king was gathering his forces for an attack on London, the parliamentary forces in Worcester retreated back to Edge Hill in Warwickshire and there fought the first great set-piece battle of the war, the Battle of Edge Hill, with the intention of stopping the king from reaching London, which they did, though the battle is often thought of being a tied battle, effectively the parliamentarians had won the strategic manoeuvre and protected London from the king. With the parliamentarians abandoning Worcester, the royalists then took it back over and held it until 1646, but not without some alarms because in 1643 the parliamentarians again besieged it and cannon struck College Green, knocking down Nine College Green, the home of the organist, the famous composer Thomas Tompkins in Worcester. But then again the Parliamentarians retreat in 1643 and the Royalists consolidate their hold on Worcester. They carry on holding it then until 1646 when it becomes the last great centre of Royalist resistance to the Parliamentarians. For Cromwell in 1645 has won the Battle of Naseby, effectively defeating the king. The king is forced to retreat north. He surrenders to the Scots at Newcastle, and from Newcastle he pronounces that all remaining strongholds should surrender. Worcester never gets the message. It carries on holding out, besieged, right the way through the early months of 1646, more and more desperate as hunger takes hold of the citizenship, while the parliamentarian army of nearly 5,000 troops surrounds and squeezes Worcester. And subsequently, in the period of the Commonwealth, given the fact that Worcester has been such a strong royalist city, how does it fare? Well, the first thing to say is that in the end, in 1646, the siege is effective and Colonel Rainsborough, who subsequently is famous for his leveller sympathies, the really left-wing sympathies of many of the troops in the New Model Army. Anyway, Rainsborough takes the surrender on Rainbow Hill in the summer of 1646 and then imposes a fine, knocks down many of the houses close to the city walls, removes the defences and punishes Worcester with a heavy indemnity. And Worcester subsides into being a torn, injured and really rather reluctant participant in any future action in the wars. But the fact is that the wars aren't ended. The king is executed in January 1649. Cromwell, the great general of the parliamentary forces and the new model army, who never is defeated in any battle at all, is made Lord Protector. And it's the king's son, 
Charles II, who has been exiled on the continent after his father's execution, who determines to stake his claim to the throne and invades Scotland in 1651, gathering there a Scottish force. Cromwell goes north to meet him and ushers him ever further to the west to keep him away from London as Charles II marches from Scotland south into England, pushes him away from Oxford, pushes him towards the West Country, and Charles II thinks, right, Worcester, it supported my father, Worcester it will be as my gathering ground for my forces. This is in 1651, and it's at Worcester that the great Battle of Worcester is fought. Cromwell surrounds Worcester with 30,000 men. Charles II is caught in Worcester. All his exit routes are blocked off by parliamentary forces, and there he is trapped with 10,000 troops, many of whom are Scottish, and they are loathed by the local inhabitants. So Worcester is really reluctant to have to support the king once again, knowing what punishment will be wreaked on it. And what happens is that Cromwell very effectively smashes his way into the city, drives Charles II into exile, and then punishes Worcester anew. How? Heavy fines, executions, destruction of houses. It was laid waste, effectively, Worcester. And the cathedral itself desecrated for a second time. The bodies were piled up in the cloisters and in the nave, and it took a special act of Parliament to pay for the fumigation of the cathedral after it. So finally, when Charles II is restored to the throne, did the fortunes of Worcester increase, and was the city still royalist? Very good question, because the fortunes did recover, and Worcester carried on to become a very important industrial centre, not cloth anymore, but now glove-making, probably the world's leading glove-making city. Its houses were rebuilt. Its enthusiasm for the kings was much more dubious. Indeed, James II came to Worcester in 1686 and attended a Catholic service in a chapel which had been thrown up near the city walls. The people of Worcester did not enthusiastically endorse his Catholic religion, and indeed it was a citizen of Worcester and a pupil of the King's School who led the campaign to remove the king. He led the defence of the seven bishops, and he wrote the Bill of Rights in the Glorious Revolution after James II had been removed. His name was John Summers, Lord Summers of Evesham. Andrew, thank you again for selecting a moment or moments in Worcester's fascinating history that show that what happened in Worcester impacted the history of Britain and even the world beyond. You can find further fascinating podcasts with Andrew Reeks about the dissolution of Worcester Priory under Henry VIII and the city's notorious part in the UK's electoral history on our website, www.historywm.com. Andrew's book, Worcester Moments, River, Religion and Royalty, is available to order now from the History West Midlands website or on Amazon. <laughs>